0: Okay, Georgie Dikov, how are you, sir?
1: <laughs> Hello, good to be back, I guess, with the new equipment.
0: Yeah, new equipment test, uh, equipment test. So guys, please let us know how it is. Very exciting, uh, but test. also there's also <laughs> potential for lots of problems. And so let us know how it is. We didn't do intro music this time, but we will, I promise, next time.
1: Georgie, catch us up. How's DC? How, how is your life? Um, my life is pretty much the same. I wouldn't say like Ray, oh, very good, thank you. Uh, <laughs> my, I wouldn't say mine is as good. Uh, I think he enjoys more freedom out, out in uh, freedom art out in, out in Oregon than I do in D.C. But, uh, um, I mean the weather is nasty. It's a uh, hundred plus degree heat, humidity. Um, there's shootings on the street. Like uh, a person <laughs> got killed by a stray bullet, oh. less uh, less than a block from where I live. Um, it's really messed up. I mean, basically, uh, I live close to one of the, like a famous, um, districts in DC where everybody goes out at night. It's called the 14th street corridor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I live on 15th street. So basically one block away and somebody like a, you know, a week ago was getting out of a restaurant, very famous one on 14th street and then walked less than a block away. And then, you know, four people started shooting randomly in the air. Um, and he got hit by a stray bullet and died. Jeez. Uh, and this is like this is not an isolated occurrence. There are like shootings and killings uh, happening every day. So uh, uh, we'll see what happens. But there's a, the official stats is that uh, 12,000 people left DC uh, during the, the pandemic, and the exodus continues. So we'll see how long I stay here. I may have to you <laughs> join Ray or like find like uh, the equivalent of Eugene, Oregon somewhere in the Appalachian Mountains. <laughs> I'd love
0: to have you in Mexico, Georgia. We could do this live. We could do this together.
1: <laughs> uh, whenever you move to that mountainous area, yeah. I, I, I'm strongly considering it, and and then you're surrounded by farms. Yeah. How's that going, by the way?
0: Uh, I I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but uh, my friends are still looking. They're, I think they're a little bit down on, on how difficult it is as a foreigner to buy land. There's like always ups upsides for everything, and there's always downsides for everything. And so I I don't know. They're, I think they're getting back here soon, and I'll go meet up with them and see where they're at, but. Uh, well, what's the downside? Like there's too much paperwork because
1: you're a gringo or like what?
0: It's, there's like lots of handshake deals and stuff. So for example, hmm. um, one of the things in Chiapas was like, you can buy this farm, but there's no uh, communal roads to the farm. <laughs> and so if something happens, like the people that actually own the land that, that the roads exist on don't want you to use it anymore. You can't even go to your property. You know what
1: I mean? Wow! So there's just stuff and of like Of course, that. they're gonna start asking for money in order in order to let you on your property, and and then they can ask for pretty much anything since they control the access.
0: It it just seems like like you're trying to improve your quality of life or whatever, but something like that can just completely destroy your investment, like just immediately. And so I, they're very smart people, and so they're weighing the pros and cons. And then I'm here doing these live streams and telling them that I'll live on a tarp or a hammock on their property if things get really, really bad.
1: <laughs> can they, rent, I mean, can you rent somebody's farm, somebody who is a Mexican and owns it uh, basically like, the, and they don't want to be there and, and you you can, you know, uh, you squat on their property. Of course you paid them something, right? Or maybe you'll take care of it for free and in return you get to do whatever you want and, you know, raise whatever animals you want.
0: I'd have to ask them. They, they I mean, they know infinitely more about this subject than I do. I'm just like, Living vicariously through them and what and what they're learning. But every single time they visit a farm and they talk to kind of the seller, they learn tons of new things about uh, the soil, like how viable it is to grow certain things and, and stuff like that. And so it's just it's I mean, it's as complicated as you think it would be like <laughs> it's like so many it's like fraught with so
1: many errors. So they actually won't arable land or something like are they gonna plant something on that land i thought it's mostly for animals or
0: well to have goats and f- fruit trees and things like that just like all the things we're talking about to like try to disconnect from the system in, ca- in case something happens you know just a uh, hedge bets but
1: yeah. i have yet to see uh any kind of a soil that potato wouldn't grow in mm-hmm. Uh, so that that should be growable no matter where you are, <laughs> unless you're in the Sahara Desert or something. I think that should grow.
0: I think that's true. I think certain fruits grow better. So again, I know nothing about soil or anything, but from uh, talking to them, some areas favor different fruits and other ones don't. And apparently, in like hot, humid areas, the the soil is like way worse than. In that rainy mountainous area, but also when you go to the rainy mountainous area, you basically don't get any sun. (laughs) It's like it it, it would be like Oregon,
1: yeah, Oregon all, all over again.
0: Dude, I've never spent a lot of time there, but I'm actually. It's been June has been extremely gloomy. I haven't laid out barely at all, and I don't even know like how Ray does it. He just might have the he must have those incandescents on him like all the time. Cause it's like the, the
1: glue just overdoses on vitamin D. I think and, you know, it deals with <laughs> annoying people that, that are <laughs> compensating for the lack of stimulation of, <laughs> of the weather.
0: <laughs> it's uh, it's a brutal thing without uh, the sun. Okay, guys, let us know how this, this audio is. This might look kind of similar, but every single thing is different about it. And so uh, I, you guys would laugh if you saw the setup on my desk and it's not even over yet. And I still have more stuff coming, uh, It was, uh, there was a, like to flip my image because my image is like the other way to flip it. It was a hardware device that was
1: $300. (laughs) My goodness.
0: Like, so once you get into hardware with, um, live streaming, it's like, it's like kind of getting into, uh, hardware with music stuff. You just start paying so much more than software. Um, but anyways, okay. So the one other thing we should talk about before we get into articles, um, do you have any, what, is there any headlines or anything that you want to chat about?
1: Um, uh, let's see. Oh, um, I found statistics for Bulgaria which show that for 2020, um, basically there were no premature deaths, there was no difference between 2020 and 2019, not even by a fraction of a percentage. And the way they, they define premature deaths is basically the deaths of anybody under the age of 65 without um chronic conditions, in other words. In Bulgaria, if there was a pandemic at all, it only killed people over 65 and people with severe pre-existing conditions. So the whole narrative about ha- having a pandemic goes away because if you have a pandemic, it affects it's affecting everybody, as they were claiming that it it is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, left it, of course older people more, but like they were saying, nobody's safe, right? Except for the very young children. Then you should have had a drastic increase in premature deaths. Those were identical to 2019. And I'm looking for a similar statistic because I think it's kind of unique to the European Union. I don't know the equivalent of that in the United States or other countries. Uh, I think here they kind of like, they don't even talk about premature deaths. They have a model of what they call excess deaths, right? Mm -hmm. How many they expected to occur. And, but that is based on, you know, on a model. So you can change the, you can tweak the model a little bit and come up with a, you know, grossly exaggerated excess, excess deaths number, right? Uh, In Bulgaria, the number of premature deaths is a hard number. It's basically, this is how many people under the age of 65 without premature conditions died in 2019. And I'll send you the numbers. It's an identical percentage um, uh, for, for 2020. So it must be a really strange pandemic. And by the way, the total number of deaths, yes, there were 16,000, uh, uh, 16, uh, about 16,000 people more died in Bulgaria in 2020 than 2019. Mm-hmm. But just as in the United States, even though it was higher than the prior year, it was still lower than, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, for, than the death count for like uh, you know, 10 to 12 years ago. So, so basically, yes, even if you have a little bit of extra debts, it's not at all clear that this is due to the pandemic and not to things like the lockdown, the social isolation, the substance abuse, the domestic violence, and all these kind of things. And it's kind of corroborated by but that premature death statistics, which hasn't moved by even a fraction of a percentage. So um, I looked at the, through the stats of several other European countries, and they're the exact same way. So if there was any other, if there's any still any doubt that this so-called pandemic is entirely conjured up out of thin air, uh, at least in Europe. I mean, the, the numbers the numbers are, are out there, and those can't be fudged. Fudged, these are not models. These are basically hard numbers of just how many people died compared to the previous years. Um, and then the, the, I don't know if you saw that article I posted on the forum that the vaccines kill two people for every three people they save. Well, Did you see that one? Well, I'm curious how, how they're <laughs> saving these people, but explain more. Well, no, I mean, like, uh, uh, I, I don't believe they're saving them either, but still, <laughs> like, that's a pretty terrible statistic, c- assume, uh, uh, considering, first of all, that the death rate uh, from COVID-19, even now, by the official standards, for everybody under the age of 60, according to the CDC, um, the, 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 you know, the survival rate is 99.98%. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially looking at the flu. Mm-hmm. So for that disease, for a disease so deadly... Uh, basically you, you need a test to detect it <laughs> and then you need for to be vaccine for, so forced, safe
0: yeah forced to be vaccinated through endless propaganda <laughs> yeah.
1: exactly and, and, and a vaccine is so safe you have to be bribed to take it and now we know that the number needed to treat basically like the if you vaccinate enough people and and so that you start causing deaths you know just the official stats you'll be causing two deaths for every three people saved. uh i don't i mean of course the study was uh, immediately retracted. And but the, the reason for the retraction is they said, um, you know, while they agree with the analysis, they didn't agree agree with the argument the article made that this is like a cause and effect. And they said, well, just because more people died in the vaccinated group doesn't mean that this was caused by the vaccine. <laughs> what else would it be caused by? <laughs> Number one. Number two, because the, the, the death rate. In the in basically in the unvaccinated population was lower, mm-hmm. and the only thing different on average because th- think about it we're talking about large statistically uh, uh, homogenous groups right they're comparable to each other so if you have two groups with largely the same uh, profile, and then one group is unvaccinated, the other one is vaccinated, and then the rate of death in the vaccinated group is higher. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, it doesn't nec- it doesn't directly prove cause and effect, but there isn't anything else that can be attributed to, right? So, so basically the powers that be have resorted to the argument that if you want to prove cause and effect, you have to go through a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial to prove that the vaccines kill more people than they don't. But guess what? They don't even allow true placebo groups anymore. The placebo group is another vaccine. <laughs> so, if the other vaccine is chosen, uh, that is, so that it has a similarly, similar similarly lethal profile to the COVID nineteen vaccine, mm-hmm. even a double-blind randomized placebo con- control trial is not going to show that the COVID-19 vaccine is, is causing more deaths. Um, I don't think the, I don't know how many, how many of the actual trials actually had a true placebo group. I think all of them had uh, uh, either the meningitis vaccine or one of the flu vaccines, because they said it's unethical to have a true placebo group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so these days you you really uh, very rare to have a, a true placebo group. It's usually for ethical reasons, you know the the placebo group is uh, is always injected or spiked with something.
0: It, that that's the same thing they pull with cancer, as they say. It's like um, not ethical to not give these people radiation or chemo, right?
1: Right. So yeah. so basically, so so it, uh, when you when you, when you hear a new treatment doing better than basically and being approved, that's because it was compared to an already existing treatment, yeah. and this one <laughs> killed slightly less people, <laughs> slightly fewer people than the previous one. Uh, I don't know that it, there's ever been. Uh, an actual double-blind, randomized placebo-controlled trial with a true placebo group. They may have been back in like the 50s or 60s or even the 40s, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, I personally don't know of, of, of one. Maybe we should ask Ray, because that really right there, um, I mean, if you go and read those trials, they're probably still there. I mean, the results are still published. That will probably kill um, any argument that that uh, you know modern cancer treatment is saving lives. By the way, even, even mainstream oncologists are now saying for most cancers, it doesn't. It's just, it's basically they're saying that's the best we have. And, you know, unless you want to completely give up on medicine, those are the options that they're giving you. So, um, so yeah, um, that's, that's where we're saying. So uh, if you want to argue with, with relatives about the vaccine, just send them that article. I think it doesn't get, in, the analysis is pretty simple and it doesn't get any more convincing than that because nobody so far has published uh, an article saying like, look, I guess what? You have like two thirds of a chance of dying or something like uh, not two thirds of a chance of dying. But basically, like we, it, we're we going to kill two people for every three we save. Um, if you if any politician or even Fauci gets on TV and utters that sentence, I think the, the entire vaccination campaign will be over overnight. Uh, of course, you're not going to hear that. And the article has been retracted. Uh, but again, keep in mind. The reason for the retraction for uh, other than the political pressure was that they said not that it not that it disagreed with the analysis but they disagreed with the conclusion that this is a cause and effect finding. They said until you actually have this trial which I mentioned that can never happen um you shouldn't be claiming cause and effect but yet if you have a large group of randomly selected people that are unvaccinated and a large group of randomly selected people that are vaccinated and the rate of death in the vaccinated group is higher it's very difficult to to pinpoint another cause. Uh, I mean, that's the whole point of the of the randomization. Um, so we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, for the people that, that that already know, have made up their minds. As usual, this isn't news, right? That it's not gonna it's not going to change their minds. And for the people that are, I'm hoping that the people who are still on the fence, because so far none of the studies have talked about deaths, right? They've only talked about saving lives. But now this says, well, we're gonna kill two people for every three we save. So that is a lot. That message is a lot grimmer. And a lot more, uh, you know, uh, depressing than what we've seen so far uh, from uh, from, the, from the marketing industry for big pharma, aka mainstream mainstream media. Speaking of grim
0: and depressing, <laughs> so uh, the same people who brought us Operation Warp Speed and mRNA tech, uh, a vaccine technology, uh, the def- uh, So this was an RT article, and I can't even read this, but. Um, the Defense Department's network ranked 19th out of 2,891 internet service uh, service providers for peer-to-peer trading of CP in 2018. So these Pentagon people are disgusting. Like who? Oh yeah. So again, it's like who needs to who needs to defend their stance on not taking a vaccine when the Pentagon? was was uh, intimately like they ran the whole operation of creating the, the vaccine and this specific technology. And it's like you, you don't need some technical argument about not taking this vaccine. These people are discussing.
1: So corroborating argument, uh, you know, that I'm a hacker for hire. So one of the things that we do, I mean, I most of my clients are federal agencies, they're all of them are civilian. I don't have clearance for military, but uh, uh, we find we find basically the exact same thing on the civilian agency side too. So, it, it, as part of our so-called penetration testing, we basically try to hack into the network, right? And then we're given the green light to uh, check certain people's computers, their hard drives, uh, their their uh, internet activity, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera, because pretty much all of it is is being recorded. Whenever it is not recorded, we're allowed to basically like go inside that person's office. And then you know, boot up the machine with, from an alternative media, and then look through their hard drive and things like that. Uh, I cannot begin to describe how many cases of people like uh, having access to either CP or like uh, you know things involving animals and whatnot uh, we're talking about. And and here's the scariest part: we've, of course, we write this up because by law we're required. We'll uh, we have to notify um, the the relevant authorities. However. We, um, by contract, we're not allowed to actually call the police and say there is a child predator working at this agency. We actually have to let the security services of the agency know first. And as far as I know, over the last five years of the people that have basically more or less busted, not a single one of them has been fired. Um, and actually, I attended a briefing uh, where uh, it was becoming concerning because we we at one agency, we found so much of this stuff that basically, and the person was sharing it too, like he had installed some kind of a software that was doing, just as the uh, uh, RT article was saying, that was doing peer-to-peer file sharing. So we basically uh, had like an in-person briefing with the CIO and the and the uh, um, Office of the Inspector General, the OIG, which is supposed to monitor that agency and bust anybody inside that agency, including the head of the agency, if necessary, right? And I couldn't believe that we're sitting there and my boss is basically like, Giving my presentation is saying look this person here is is the equivalent of like the of the el, Ch- el chapo drug dealer <laughs> like moving 50 metric tons a year we're not talking about small fish <laughs> this person is supplying yeah. cp around the across, across around across, you know across the entire world so what are we going to do and they're like um well we're going to have stern talking to um, and this person, yes, we know about him. Uh, it's not the first time. You know, the first people who are discovering this, and we and we say, okay, so can we at least kill the connection or like uninstall that software so he stops doing that? No, we can't really do that. Why not? Because it's invasion of privacy, and he will know that that he's being busted. Well, that's kind of the point. Like, get rid of this idiot. Like, just look at the network traffic. He's consuming 1% of the aggregate bandwidth of the entire agency downloading and uploading all of this crap. Yeah. Okay, noted. We'll take care of it. Guess what? Three years later, this person not only has not been fired, has been promoted. Um. So this is, I mean, like, this is not just the Pentagon. And I'm thinking that's how essentially you, you get to the point of where we are. If everybody's dirty, if everybody's corrupt, then nobody's going to rock the ball too much because guess what? Uh, you know, if if you are one of these people and you start raising your voice and trying to suddenly act fair, they're going to waive Georgia's report and say, look, Georgia here says you're responsible for 1% of the federal government's consumption uh, of, of CP. Um, and that's it. And and if, if that is a relatively, let's say, mid-ranking official at a federal agency, imagine the kind of stuff that goes on at a really high levels, right? Right. Um, and, and the kind of the kind of the kind of dirt that the powers that be have on each other or or really on anybody in a position of power. So it's not that surprising. I mean, the whole argument about like, oh, uh, if there was ever a conspiracy, it would, it would immediately get leaked. Nobody can be like that, can keep that secret for too long. They cannot because they're literally their life depends on it. If that person ever gets busted, it gets thrown to the wolves, uh, you know, publicly. That person is going away for at least 30, 40 years in, in federal prison. Um, So I don't think anybody would like open their mouth or or say anything, even if they were seeing this, the agency that they work for actively engaging in murders, drug trafficking, you know, CP, child trafficking, whatnot. I mean, it sounds like to them it's just, you know, just, uh, you know, another day on planet Earth, just business as usual.
0: Yeah, we can move on. But I think there's a term called like cognitive capture, and it's kind of like the higher up you move uh, or you rank and kind of intelligence and politics it's more you have to um kind of like buy
1: into the corrupt system you know what i mean yeah and- otherwise otherwise you will not fit and yeah. you'll either burn out like uh get suicided with mm-hmm. two bullets mm-hmm. to the head mm-hmm. uh, or something else will happen and it just the, the system just doesn't t- tolerate outsiders
0: yeah one exactly. way or
1: another you're on your way out whether whether by your own volition or or the, the network will simply kick you out or and, crush you.
0: And again, last thing, like, uh, but books on how they recruit CIA pe- people, they like expose them to disgusting. Their, um. I hope I'm not getting too graphic here, but there was like a blunt um, circumcision in like Africa or something. And it was like a famous video that it was like so disgusting or something, but they would show new CIA recruits that video. And like the people that could tolerate it would move on. You know what I mean? Like, and that was, I think this book was written in the seventies or something.
1: And so I, I think in order to be a CIA recruit, you, you're probably already like way off the deep end in terms of craziness well, and what you can tolerate. Well, that's
0: that's what I mean. You have to be kind of this, uh, there was like a quote by somebody. It's like, if you had criminal tendencies, but you're too much of a coward to act on them. Oh, that's, would, right, yeah, that's right. That's right. You go join the CIA. Yeah. That yeah. was my, um, I forget, Brandon Brenner or some CIA agent. Anyways. Okay. We can move on here. Cause we, we do have to, it is kind of late um, Okay. Do I want to say, oh, this is what i was saying. Okay. Thank you to Tim. Thank you to Travis. Thank you to Anton. Thank you to Ilya. Thank you to Joseph. Thank you to Ruth. Thank you to Anna. And then thank you to Kerlin as well for, these were all donations that I missed on the last stream. So thank you guys. Sincerely appreciate it. Some of them were extremely generous. So thank you guys so much. Sincerely appreciate from bottom of my heart. And let's get into a few articles and then we'll talk about Idea Labs and then We'll talk about some more articles um okay let me open this up what any of these that you uh do you want me to make this bigger
1: uh the one i show you about like uh, exercise uh well i mean most of them are about PUFA, but the one that i liked a lot was that uh, training exercise temporarily exactly and this immediately reminded me of an, or a study that i posted maybe two or three years ago on the forum showing that at the completion of a marathon or even half a marathon The majority of the participants who got tested, they did a random selection of them, were actually in a state of mild to moderate kidney failure. And you'll think like, oh, my God, this is this is not a joke. You know, Uh, first of all, kidney failure is nothing to play with. Of course, they said it was acute kidney failure. And, you know, uh, the vast majority of people recover. What about the the ones that didn't? How many times do you see an advertisement on TV or a disclaimer by a doctor who is saying like, "Oh, you need to exercise more, you need to run like a beast," but guess what? Uh, it may it may kill your kidneys. I've never heard of any doctor who even knew about that, uh, let alone like give this the, the give this disclaimer that exercise can actually harm you. Um, and then the surprising thing from that marathon study, which now is corroborated by this one as well, is that the kidney failure occurred. Even in very elite, trained, yeah. sort of like hardened athletes that have been running marathons their entire lives, um, and this study found the exact same thing: elite athletes uh, basically started experiencing mitochondrial failure um, after after they engaged in rigorous exercise, which was actually uh, was right up right up the, you know uh, right up their alley. It wasn't anything uh, truly truly grueling. It was kind of like what they used to do in, in terms of preparation. And they expected the non-elite athletes to, to endure mitochondrial damage, but it was the elite ones that actually did. Um, so uh, as you can see, basically the activity was, um, what is it, 20, 12 to 20 hours per week for each volunteer? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so so for a person who is uh, who is an, an elite athlete, and those were all runners, basically, they were all uh, like uh, um, you know, sprinter, um, sp- I think sprinters, marathoners, etc. But it all it, all of the exercises involved running, um, and for those people, it was quite surprising for the, for the uh, scientists to see mitochondrial damage in those athletes. It, the mitochondrial da- damage was characterized by increased levels of mitochondrial fragments in the blood, increased level, increased ratio of lactate to pyruvate, um, and increased levels of inflammatory biomarkers. Now the increased uh, levels of mitochondrial damage as you as you remember a couple of months ago we talked about how this actually sets up the stage for autoimmune conditions because the immune system recognizes those and those mitochondrial fragments actually can activate the HPA axis. They, they and they the the response that the body threw against the presence of mitochondrial debris in the bloodstream was identical to the response the body did when it was presented with a uh, you know semi-serious viral infection. So all of these things basically demonstrate that stress is really detrimental to the mitochondria and some people may not recover. Uh in some of the elite athletes that they investigated here, even after two months of a recovery period, there was still Evidence of of ongoing mitochondrial damage. Now, of course, the uh, the, the disclaimer that this scientist uh, uh, put out was that maybe maybe the, those people were in poor health to start with, right? But you know, it's just even if even if that's the case, you don't expect that level of uh, you know uh, decrepitness or or collapse of health in people who are elite athletes. Remember, these are not amateurs; these are people who m- make a living out of being you know at at that high level of athleticism. And another corroboration that many of the elite athletes are really unhealthy, um, if you remember that even older study that I posted on the forum was about how elite athletes have, ex- have extremely poor dental health. Um, and many people, uh, you know, uh, many doctors are baffled by it by saying like, how? I mean, these people have such excellent bone health. How can they possibly have, uh, you know, have, uh, that's the one, uh, endurance exercise is bad for your oral health. How can it possibly be? And it turns out that it's linked to poor thyroid function, and low levels of carbon dioxide in the blood uh, and low levels of thyroid hormone. So so it's, it, it's not surprising. So in other words, most athletes, most elite athletes are actually hypothyroid. And the only reason we're not seeing, uh, you know, the manifestation of their hypothyroidism earlier is because most of them tend to happen to be pretty young. So they're still producing probably significant amounts of DHEA, pregnenolone, progesterone, but they're actually the re- the level of chronic disease in former elite athletes is several times higher than the general population, uh, which demonstrates once again that, that uh, you know, intense training, which is, seems to be all the rage these days, uh, like CrossFit and, you know, um, redefine harder, redefine hardcore. I see these slogans everywhere here in DC. Uh, it's really not good for you for any aspect of your health. You know, bad teeth, uh, bad bones, uh, poor mitochondrial function, uh, potentially leading to autoimmune conditions, and of course, eventually cancer. Uh, once the mitochondria starts getting dismantled and a sufficient number of cells decides to do that, uh, then, then sooner or later, a tumor is going to form. That's all that it takes for a cancer to form. Lack of oxidative phosphorylation. Could
0: you also say just uh, any type of breathless exercise would be risky, especially for somebody maybe with a low thyroid condition?
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if you're getting to the point, if it's becoming a breathless exercise, means means the lactate has risen to the point, or carbon dioxide has been suppressed to the point uh, that you're basically gasping for air. That, that you're reaching a state of hypoxia. So the HIF expression will rise, right? Uh, you'll start releasing histamine and serotonin. Um, if you if you're reeling to that, if you're reeling to that level where basically you're gasping for air, then it means probably lipolysis is also elevated way beyond comfort. Um, so, if you're doing this chronically, uh, you're setting yourself up for failure. I mean, that's gasping for air is a sign of essentially starting to get into an, an, anaerobic glycolysis. And once if that continues for a sufficiently long period of time, even if you're doing sporadically, right, you're not, you're not in anaerobic glycolysis 24 7. But if this continues on a daily basis for uh, months or even years, eventually, if the cell starts to dismantle its apparatus, you're going to end up in aerobic glycolysis. Um, and the only way out of this is the restoration of, of basically regeneration of mitochondria inside of that cell. And for that, carbon dioxide is the is the cardinal uh, generating factor. And
0: last thing before we move on, and maybe a safe way to exercise, like eating before and after or breathing in a bag
1: or taking breaks in between sets or whatever. Or taking thiamine and niacinamide, like if you're going to be going for a running session and you know you're going to be gasping for air or like you're feeling really exhausted or like you're, uh, um, you know, not enjoying the exercise or you're feeling this burning in your muscles somewhere like halfway through, um, (laughs) Taking some time, and there's actually, there's now human studies that support this argument, uh, the, this this uh, this intervention. Uh, they did use the more fat-soluble version of timing known as allitiamin, but uh, the animal studies that compared allitiamin and regular thiamin found that both forms work equally well. I, I completely forgot, but
0: I had to Ray our last episode. I always like send him the... Talking, I, I don't know if he watches it or I, I doubt he cares. But like uh, the the title of that was like bodybuilding and steroids. And and Ray said, um, I look <laughs> I look at bodybuilding like success in business. Like it's like <laughs> like this, like it is not you don't want if you're successful in business, it usually means like you've had to do a bunch of terrible things or whatever. Uh, it, I, it was just him being funny, but I thought it was. Uh, I laughed. I just like, it was, it was well, like let's re- just
1: say that, that it's the least criminal way to succeed in business because <laughs> bodybuilders actually probably enjoy the best health of any competitive uh, competitive athlete. These days,
0: maybe set in the '70s or something.
1: right? Yeah, maybe in the '70s. Yeah, but yeah. Didn't somebody ask him like if bodybuilders basically are generally ha- kind of have it right? The mm-hmm. idea of like health uh-huh. and Ray Ray responded back with a study showing that they tend to live longer. Than the general population or something like that, uh, despite the usage of steroids. Mm-hmm. So, so think about it: if they didn't abuse uh, these, especially the estrogenic ones and the harsh ones, that much and kill their liver or or their kidneys or their heart, didn't Arnold had like a several like valves replaced recently? Uh, he had remember. like an open heart surgery. Uh-huh. Um, so anyways, so I mean, but aside from that, because of the relatively larger amount of muscle mass they maintain, even you know, way into their 60s or even 70s, um, they tend to actually have higher metabolic rate and live longer. And I think uh, I'm blanking on the name of the study, but Ray responded back to the person saying that he disapproves of a lot of the steroids that they use. But in general, they're, they're much more on the right track than the people running themselves to death. <laughs> or like, oh. I don't know, or like doing doing keto or like, or, or, or starving or doing the, the fasting and whatnot. So, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that seems counterintuitive, but I, I know what you mean. Like the, those starvation diets and things like that are not good for longevity or mental health. It's like, it's counterintuitive because a lot of the bodybuilding people I've met are like some of the have like psycho mood problems and stuff like that I've known personally. And so, well, they
1: use that- a lot of, a lot of drugs. Like the, <laughs> it's not just the steroids. Um, uh, like before the, the, you know, they take a lot of, uh, a lot of the, um, LSD derivatives, they take cabergolin, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and that one is really dangerous because it's actually profibrotic. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. It's one of the few, you know, the uh, one of the few ergod derivatives that is a strong agonist of the 5-HT2B receptor. Uh Um, And basically like one of the, I think it has a black box warning in some countries saying that you're running a higher risk of pulmonary uh, retroperitoneal uh, and heart fibrosis, if you're using even the generally recommended dosages, which are like 2.5 milligrams twice a week or mm-hmm. something like that, um, and they're saying like even if you do that, you use the recommended dosage, you shouldn't be on the drug for more than a few weeks because it's really destroying um, you know, all, all, all of your soft tissues. So, I mean, they also use beta agonists uh, in order to increase their energy before uh, you know, uh, doing um, – um, actual competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so all kinds of stuff. Uh, and and of course, many of the steroids that they use are estrogenic because there's a belief in the bodybuilding community that estrogen is absolutely crucial and vital <laughs> for your success as a bodybuilder. <laughs> and uh, we we'll see how this turns out. I've heard that for
0: since like two thousand six. Like I heard that oh, same yeah. thing
1: repeated over
0: and over and over,
1: uh, and over. There's there are threads on the forum that pop up every like couple of months that are <laughs> that are very much along that line and some of them even titled like that. And w- we're not gonna go through it
0: again, but I we have like uh episodes that we cover this that topic. Okay, so let's move on. Um but, or maybe or let's do one more and then I'll talk about it or we'll talk about ideal. What uh I also I added this one in, the the email yes. that we got, the interplay did you, between- did you get a chance to read it? I didn't, but I, there's a paper that I have that I've, that was almost, I thought I had ha- had this one already, but there was another paper I had that basically said the exact same thing.
1: Yeah. So, so they actually, they form a positive, apparently, according to the paper, the are a the reigning angiotensin aldosterone oh, system mm-hmm. and paratory hormone basically form a positive loop, uh, a positive loop back, positive cycle. Uh, w- uh, both of them promote each other. Um, and, 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 and conversely, inhibiting one or lowering one is actually able to restrain the other. So the paper talks about how people usually with like uh, uh, basically kidney problems, and in other words, which which is uh, – these people are known to have a, a, an overactive RAS system, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they have also like elevated parathyroid hormone mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, level. Mm-hmm. And and basically, if you give them these uh, ACE inhibitor drugs, um, such as Lysinopril or like Losartan. spironolactone uh, as well. Yes, yeah, spironolactone as well. It uh, it ends up not only correcting their blood pressure and like you know uh, taming their RAS system, but also drastically lowers the levels of parathyroid hormone as well. Um, and also like they said, it adrenalectomy, which of course is uh, basically that's, that's like a really extreme way to co- to correct or or you know h- to handle RAS uh, uh, overstimulation. It's usually done when you have like a tumor on the adrenal gland that's producing uh, spiron. Uh, I'm sorry, al- spiron- uh, aldosterone. Uh, and basically, like if it's a malignant tumor or something, they have to remove it. They're saying basically there's a drastic reduction in both, the, of course, the uh, synthesis of aldosterone, and there's a drastic drop in, in, a, um, in a PTH as well. Um, and they're saying that this seems to work even in cases where you have primary hyperparathyroidism caused by benign tumor in the parathyroid gland they used to do i mean to this day they they would uh, if the if the tumor is benign or malignant or whatever in the parathyroid gland they'll take that, the the parathyroid gland out um, and then basically uh, if you need it they'll, they'll give you like an extra supplemental one but then they also found out that taking these drugs that act on the ras system or doing adrenalectomy resolves actually even tumors in the parathyroid gland that are responsible for producing extra parathyroid hormone so it looks like if you if you having problems with your with your parathyroid gland um, the you know, the, aside from the low vitamin D and low calcium intake, you may also be low on sodium uh, because that's one thing that will uh, chronically activate the RAS system. Um, and sometimes, you know, if you have like a really um, stubborn PTH that doesn't want to go down despite your, your your efforts of, you know, loading up on the vitamin D and the calcium, uh, you may you may also want to take a look at your sodium intake um, and or sodium excretion and maybe do a test for aldosterone And and if there is an issue with that, you know things like uh, progesterone and pregnenolone. Of course, spironolactone, but it's a commercial drug and prescription drug, and it does have some side effects. Tends to be anti-androgenic, which in high doses for men is probably not that good of an idea. But pregnenolone and progesterone should be able to uh, pretty much achieve the same thing, uh, and and it may help with your um, hyper uh, secondary hyperparathyroidism.
0: Actually, do think I have this paper? This was this. I, m- I must have added it to my notes twice because the other one said we explore the bi- the complex bi-directional relationship between run angiotensin aldosterone system and-, and parathyroid hormone. I actually think I asked Ray this because all the things you said he's talked about specifically, like the um, sodium and calcium and magnesium, all having a, suppre- a suppressive effect on the parathyroid. And then I think he said, but carbon dioxide was really the main thing because it's regulating the the ion concentration inside and outside the cell. Exactly. And- and so that's why. So instead
1: of you regulating it through diet, yeah. I mean, of course, unless you're completely deficient, then carbon dioxide is not going to help. But then, if you're completely deficient on one, you're probably not going to be producing much carbon dioxide to start with. Exactly. So ensuring optimal carbon dioxide production may be able to take care of some of these uh, electrolyte imbalances um, without you necessarily having to like tweak them too much through the diet.
0: Yeah, and this is why we don't. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we don't subscribe to micromanaging. Uh, like mineral intake <laughs> excessively. because right.
1: Because I, I think that's- Zinc to cooperation, <laughs> Danny. Like, it's all in the <laughs> anesthesiology books. How, how come you haven't read one well, <laughs> not, well, not
0: to this day? Well, multiple people are progressing that now. And I think, I again, I think that's better than over-focusing on carbohydrate or something. It's like mo- at least moving in a positive direction. But it, again, it still leaves out the metabolism. You know what I mean? And then things like carbon dioxide, which is like really- even something like who, who zinc. Who else is
1: professing the electrolyte balance and like chasing chasing these minute uh, like zinc to copper or like manganese ratios? Are, are you hearing from other people other than g Uh I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the- um, Okay, you don't want to wake up, to, uh, awake old enemies.
0: <laughs> but the um, there was a paper I had on, it was like a woman with experiencing really bad hair loss and she had obvious hypothyroidism, but the they actually gave her zinc And the the problem resolved. But in the paper, they were talking about, similar to this, talking about a bidirectional relationship between RAS and PTH, they were talking about a bidirectional relationship between thyroid and zinc. And how, Mm -hmm. again, I'd have have to get this paper on screen or whatever, but like the zinc transporters in the intestine were activated by, specifically by thyroid hormone. And so again, it's just it's just kind of a fool's errand to look at this mineral and that mineral and this vitamin and this vitamin outside the grand scheme of things. And especially since a low thyroid person is going to be chronically wasting magnesium, cr- chronically wasting sodium. Sold. So, yes, salt. Yeah. Sodium. It's just. Exactly. It's just. Again, uh, don't give me. <laughs> to start on. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about. Uh, thanks, guys. Sincerely, appreciate. I think we have like 130 people watching right now. Guys, give us give this show a like. Uh, I sent it to Georgie, but like you type in Ray Pete, and our episodes don't even come up. And so, again, that's uh, Google has reached a new low. (laughs) But, you know, it it feels good when you guys uh, show support or you comment or whatever, at least unless Georgie and I know that you enjoyed certain shows and didn't enjoy other shows. But we really appreciate
1: it. And then speaking of search engines, uh, there's a new search engine, which is kind of vying to take the crown from Google. Uh, and it, it looks like they're using their own crawler and like and search index themselves. Uh-huh. They're not renting it from like Bing or Yahoo. <laughs> I think Yahoo at this point <laughs> is using Bing. So there's really only Google and Bing. Uh, and this new search engine is called Brave. So the website is search.brave.com. Oh, but that's and I'll be interested to see what happens when you search for AP there or like try to find our shows there. Uh, there shouldn't be much censorship.
0: Okay, so this is a, this used to be, or this still is a browser, but they created a search engine.
1: Yeah. Okay, this is crazy. And they're, they're, they're squarely, they're squarely going after Google uh, and specifically the censorship. Or they're more going after DuckDuckGo, right? Um, I don't want to say that they're going after DuckDuckGo. They're they're kind of wanted, They're basically saying like, "Well, yes, we are private, just like DuckDuckGo. We don't track you, but more importantly, we don't censor things." Because I think even Duck, Duck Go recently gave evasive answers when they were asked like, "Well, uh, uh, if there's like a paper that's be that's generating a lot of controversy, the anti-vax world, are you guys suppressing results related to it?" And they said, we comply with the latest, like, (laughs) public health requirements and whatever the health experts say, which is just, to me, that's just a BS answer, which says, yes, we do.
0: This is really cool. I didn't, I had no idea. Well, I've been suspect of DuckDuck. Google, there was, I forgot what I was searching for, but Google was like, it was the first time that it was like so obvious that they were obscuring search results. And then I I found it in like five seconds on DuckDuckGo, but it was, um. And even in one of the episodes we had, remember I was searching for that, that French dude that you were talking about, that the certain drug, yeah. and then I, we found it really quickly on DuckDuckGo. Anyway, anyways, that's not news to anybody that uh,
1: Google is a flaming trashy. Um, okay, let's Well, talk. since we spoke about the, the, the balance, the the, the balance and the blood pressure, uh, let me see. There is one article here which talks about blood pressure as a result of increased PUFA.
0: Oh, the hypertension effect on Yes, yeah.
1: yes click on that so one. We close these. Yes. Excellent. Exactly. So if you read that article, it shows that the increase, basically just a, just a 20% PUFA in the diet, um, uh, resulted in a drastically, not drastically, but like a 20 to 30% higher blood pressure compared to the animals that were fed saturated fat. Um, and they, they say low PUFA diet. It wasn't simply low PUFA diet. It was actually high saturated fat diet. So the two, so and and these are rats that actually are genetically bred to develop spontaneous hypertension. So it was it was kind of surprising to the researchers to find out that the rats on the saturated fat diet became resilient to developing the high blood pressure that they were genetically bred to develop. I think more importantly, the rats on the high PUFA diet had a drastically increased, uh, I'm sorry, drastically decreased sodium efflux from the cell outside which immediately reminds me of the comparison that whenever we talk to Ray about the energized versus the versus de-energized cell so the the, the de-energized cell is losing magnesium and potassium and then basically because of the low uh, amount of carbon dioxide produced there's nothing to take the sodium and calcium that are streaming in and basically this is what the study found that on a low puffer di- I'm sorry on a high puffer diet there is a drastic decrease in the outtake, in the excretion of sodium from the cell, which since the the main process through which this happens, um, if you put the pumps aside, is actually the generation of carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide leaving the cell is what drags the calcium, the excess calcium and sodium with it. So that's just another way of saying that high PUFA diet has a, a devastating effect on the synthesis of carbon dioxide, or in other words, De- uh, decreases oxidative phosphorylation, and on that note, all the other studies that are there actually confirm this through different angles. Um, and those are different groups that did not cite each other's works. Um, and basically, every single one of them demonstrated that PUFa decreases the functioning of the uh, all of the electron transport chain complexes, but especially complex one and cytochrome c oxidase. Number one. And number two, uh, one of the studies demonstrated you can mitigate to a degree some of that detrimental effect of PUFO by supplementing coenzyme Q10, right? Um, and then the other two or three studies demonstrated. Oh, are you you're going through the other ones right now?
0: Yeah, actually, <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of giving them a summary because they really,
1: I didn't expect this like to be, to turns out it's actually a single topic, really. Yeah, yeah. And all of these studies combined are actually corroborating the things that we're discussing right now. And all of them are showing that. That basically, PUFA, some of them directly say PUFA actually damaged complex one um, and complex four. And others are saying if you give coenzyme q10, you can actually reverse some of that damage, which kind of corroborates what the previous study found about the damage. Mm-hmm. And then there's two studies showing that even minor increase in PUFA intake, 10 to 20 percent daily, for just four weeks, drastically increased fibrotic processes in the heart, right? Um, and 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 I think the last one. Uh, is basically said that um, yeah, there we go So so induction of mitochondrial yeah that's the one that says the coenzyme Q10 can protect uh, from from the damage that Pufa does in the heart and these are these are not really like uh, like crazy PUFA diets this is just replacing 10 to 20 percent of the fat in the diet which mm-hmm. is not that much by Pufa and by Pufa I mean they gave the the animals corn oil. Um, so the corn oil profile, the fatty acid profile of the corn oil is probably is very similar to like uh, to rapeseed oil, uh, to canola oil, to soybean oil. Uh, it's really it's really the same the same. Uh, uh, I mean, the minor differences, but the, in terms of in terms of the percentage of PUFA in the oil, they're effectively consuming the the you know the, the same kind of a, a fatty acid composition. Um, so this thing showed that you know if you give a little bit of a of a coenzyme Q10, you can actually reduce some of that problem because PUFA actually increased the the, uh, reactive oxygen species. And as we know from a previous study, that is a sign of of a decreased activity of the electron transport complexes, uh, electron transport chain complexes, uh, because you get reactive oxygen species when there's a buildup of electrons and there is nothing to carry those electrons from one complex to the other and ultimately to oxygen. So what happens is that these electrons attack the molecular oxygen that is already in the body, inside of the cell, and create several different reactive oxygen species, mainly the superoxide anion and the uh, and, and and the hydroxyl uh, reactive oxygen species group.
0: What there's superoxide, uh, hydrogen peroxide. Uh, what's the- and
1: and and the, and the the hydroxyl group, yeah. which is basically the, uh, you know, it's, it's an OH group, uh, which is I think is the second most damaging after the superoxide anion.
0: Well, I thought the hydroxyl radical was the worst because that's like the most.
1: That's unstable. what i The hydroxyl. Oh, okay. The hydroxyl radical. Yeah. And then
0: okay, yeah, interesting. And those are all looking for an electron, and, and that's why that's the whole lipid peroxidation process, right? It wants to, it's going to steal that hy- that hydrogen in between the double bond of the the fats.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so so they're acting as a reductant, as an antioxidant, but in the process, they're actually getting peroxidized, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 all of these uh, uh, PUFa peroxidation byproducts uh, happen to be fairly toxic. Uh, you remember the studies like that came out recently, well, recently in the last two three years, that show that uh, several PUFa peroxidation byproducts are implicated in Alzheimer's, implicated in kidney failure, implicated in diabetes. Um, implicated in Parkinson's disease, and they all gave like a specific, uh, like a fatty acid. It, it was, it was, uh, I think it was through the. Um, it wasn't a, a cyclooxygenase product. One, of, some of them were, but they were basically a, 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 um, a, a outcome of the lipid peroxidation byproduct. When it, when a lipid gets, when one of the PUFA lipids gets attacked by one of those radicals, that's what you get as an output. You get a, a you know, deactivated <laughs> uh, reactive oxygen species, but then. On the other hand, on the flip side, the poof actually converts it to something much more dangerous.
0: And then uh, we should talk about idealized after this. What the um, the ubiquinol versus ubiquinone, the reduced versus the oxidized. Uh, well, talk the, about they, they
1: tend to work equally well, but if you're taking too much of the ubiquinol, um, and you happen to be in a reduced, in, a re, in, in reductive stress, uh, it's not going to be very helpful. In fact, it may make things worse. It's an mm-hmm. electron donor, right? Um, so you want to be consuming the ubiquinone. Um, but uh, in, in relatively healthy people, actually, because these are redox molecules, they can cycle between the, oxygen, the, oxy, oxy, the oxygenated, the uh, oxidized, and the reduced form pretty quickly. Um, however, in older people, Sicker people, people that are, you know, uh, in in relatively reduced state, uh, the ubiquinol uh, is probably not going to be not going to be that helpful and potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so uh, as far as the ubiquinol goes, so usually most of the problems that are related to coenzyme Q ten are actually problems of reduced synthesis of that coenzyme, and that usually happens when you either take statins or you don't eat enough cholesterol because the synthesis of coq ten requires that side chain isoprenoid side chain that comes from cholesterol. Um, so when you're taking the 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 um the statin drugs not only do they inhibit the synthesis of cholesterol but they also inhibit the synthesis of coenzyme q10. And since coenzyme q10 is so so vital for metabolic function and for muscular health specifically now there are multiple studies linking statins to basically rhabdomyolysis which is the rapid breakdown in muscle tissue which can actually cause kidney failure incidentally. Uh, there are studies linking statins to kidney failure and ultimately lethal conditions such as amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. And if you type statins ALS in Google, you'll see several ominously st- titled studies saying that, uh, you know, that statins have actually been linked to that to that condition. Of course, the official websites kind of try to dance around the issue. Right. But the the evidence is there. Uh, it's uh, the, the rate of ALS in chronic statin users is up to 12 times higher than it is in the general population.
0: I was under the impression that these people don't make dangerous drugs though.
1: <laughs> <So>. Right. <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> and, and what is it? There were WMDs in Iraq and Anna Nicole Smith married for love.
0: I haven't heard Anna Nicole Smith for so long. <laughs> okay. So let's do a quick break here. Guys, sincerely appreciate it. Uh, give us a like again. It helps um, subscribe to tme slash Roddy. People some people don't know when we're doing these. I try to give everybody updates, you know, uh, but t.me slash Danny is the best way to keep updated. And uh, you can follow Georgie on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash hate it. I do coaching on patreon.com slash Danny Roddy. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. And Georgie has a company called Idealabs, dc.com.
1: Georgie, what's new at Idealabs? Uh working on several products. Uh one of them will probably be an upgrade to gonadin. Um basically there we found out that some of the flavones and flavonones, which uh, Pete has mentioned a few times, and I think we actually talked about them in the last episode, things like naringin, apigenin, chrysin, um uh phycetin, hesperitin. Um, all of these are examples of either flavones or flavanones, and all, they all tend to not only have an anti-estrogenic effect in a ro- uh, both at the receptor level, uh, but they also turn out to be powerful aromatase inhibitors, some of them. On top of that, I found studies that some of them uh, are actually pretty strong androgen receptor agonists, depending on the structure. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, basically all of the ones that... Uh, Pete seems to be fond of, Ray seems to be fond of, specifically epigenin and naringenin, but uh, pretty much all of the other flavones and flavanones that have functional side groups are capable of acting as quinones. Um, so basically in the body, uh, they, they can get these hydroxyl groups that they usually have on the side. They can get converted to ketones, uh, to carbonyl groups, and then this molecule can, get, can, can continue cycling and carrying electrons if you're deficient in coenzyme Q10, Um, Or you have other issues with blocked electron transport chain complexes, or there's an issue with excessive glycolysis, and you need to, you basically, you need to reoxidize NADH back to NAD. And all of these things have been indirectly confirmed because administration of these chemicals has been shown in multiple studies, including humans to uh basically in- increase metabolic rate and you can in fact you can there's a great study came out recently you type Naringin in increases metabolic rate and i think you uh, a great k- case study will come up so it acts very similarly to thyroid this one um first one yeah that that may be it can we let me see if this is um if this is and it's in humans too yep yeah the uncoupling protein and also, I mean, and the and a person lost two point three kilograms. I, th- I think it was a case study, like a single. Uh, yes, there we go. Single female subject with diabetes. Mm-hmm. So, so she basically lost uh, 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 almost two and a half kilos of fat. She gained muscle, which basically dramatically increased uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 fat-free mass to the to the fat to the fat tissue ratio. Insulin decreased, right? This is an insulin-dependent diabetic. Uh, and metabolic rate increased. Um, I think by, what is it, 3.5% above baseline, and he stayed like that, I think, for at least 12 hours. And all they did, they, I think they gave her a single dosage capsule of 300 milligrams of naringinine. Now, unfortunately, Naringin, um uh, basically has a very poor oral bioavailability. So we are working on a way to turn it into a topical product, which is mo- what most of our products are. And I'm... I'm um, already experimenting with, uh, you know, with uh, uh, some some formulations here. In fact, I'm carrying one with myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> George just has it his pocket. <laughs> yes, I mean I'm using on on myself right now. Yeah, Again, yeah. <laughs> nothing. Nothing hits the shelves so to speak the proverbial shelves before getting extensively tested on humans mostly myself this is
0: almost as good as the bulgarian biogenic burger of uh,
1: the, bur- the, the burger! by the way yes. did you know
0: that's like take hold on instagram like people are tagging me in recipes on instagram of people really? making the burger like i t- two people tagged me in different like two people are making Georgie's a Bulgarian bioenergetic beef burger.
1: I'm going to ask Ray about it on the next show and I'm sure he's going to pour cold water over it. He'll be like, what kind of an idiot would think to mix calcium and meat or come up with some kind of a a reason why this is not a good idea? Well, he's quite the chef. And so something sometimes he'll say like,
0: uh, he doesn't think it will taste good or, or something like that, but we should bounce Oh, really?
1: Up. Like he's like a con- connoisseur and, like a, and a cook? I will like have, he you, likes to- I, I did you ever
0: get his um, ice cream recipe that he sent to somebody in like 2011 or something? It was the no. most like complicated thing I had ever heard of in my entire life, but- um, okay wow. so so just kidding, what what are the the flavones in that product it's naringenin and it's just a more
1: bioavailable so so, so is a is a flavanone okay. so it's okay. a, like a more saturated version uh-huh. and apigenin and naringenin are almost the same molecule okay. but naringenin is more saturated so it's yeah. like a it's lacking one of the double bonds uh-huh. so if you if you go to google and type phytoprogestogens, a page, a Wikipedia page will come up. And basically, apigenin and naringenin and many of the other flavones and flavanols, are now considered phytoprogestogens. That's another way, that's basically the um, a really devious way of saying they are anti-estrogens, mm-hmm. but they don't want to admit that because they actually, there are similarly structured chemicals that are hi- highly estrogenic. The isoflavones and the isoflavonones are very heavily estrogenic. Things like diagene, genistein mm-hmm, um, the, the coumestrol uh, several of the coumarins um they're all uh, isoflavones or isoflavanones and those actually are strong estrogen receptor agonists and in fact i think genistein has the same affinity uh, as an as an as an actual agonist the same affinity for the estrogen receptor alpha as estradiol so you basically by eating soy you're getting hefty dosages of effectively um an exogenous Estrogen that is as potent as estradiol, and keep in mind that healthy people, at least males, produce a, less than 50 micrograms of estradiol daily. Uh, so when you're taking, a, when you're drinking a glass of soy milk, which is now becoming hugely popular, you're ingesting something on the order of 50 to 70 milligrams of of these isoflavones. So it's a massive estrogenic dose. Anyway, so the phytoprogestogens, which it mentions naringin and apigenin there, they're basically now shown to bind to the estrogen receptors as antagonists. Um, They're inhibitors of aromatase, and now they're saying that they're also binding to the progesterone receptor as agonists as well. However, naringin should not be in this category because subsequent studies try to test this a little bit further and actually did in vivo studies and found that naringin is actually only unique among all of these is not actually activating the progesterone receptor. It is strictly an estrogen antagonist, the most potent aromatase inhibitor out of the entire group, and also potentially androgenic as well. If you go to Google and type naringenin and DHT for dihydrotestosterone, you will see that naringenin triples the production of dihydrotestosterone um, at a relatively low micromolar concentration. And like I said, I found additional D- just DHT, DHT, because uh, th- that's how it appears in the study. That's the one, the first one. And actually, you can see that it says that uh, um, uh, there's a synopsis. Naringin increased DHT. Just type control if naringin, it'll, it'll come up. Boosted. There you go. Yeah. In addition, naringin boosted DHT <laughs> production in DU145 cells, unique among all of the flavones and flavanones. So we're gonna try to. Uh, change the, the, ba- the baseline gonadine formulation, I think we're going to get rid of squalene and phytol and we're going to replace the, the squalene and phytol with one of those flavones and or flavonones. Um, and then we're working I mean basically there are additional studies showing that the methoxylated versions of these flavones and flavanones are much more bioavailable much stronger at what they do and you can achieve the exact same thing with dosages that are at up to 10 times lower. So now we're trying to, either get in contact with labs or use the, the, chemist, the chemical group, uh, the group of chemists that I work with in Bulgaria to synthesize some of those. And then we'll probably have two versions, like a baseline Gonadin version, which will still have the methyl palmitate, methyl oleate, and one one or two of these flavones and flavonones in their unchanged form. And then a plus version, where you will probably have a higher dosage of norenginin, which is kind of what I have in my pocket right now, plus another one that, <laughs> that tends to be... Uh, a, str- uh, a stronger androgen receptor agonist. So we 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 go, we're gonna try to have a product that is a very heavily androgenic, very heavily anti-estrogenic, both at the receptor level and the 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 aromatase level, uh, in, into one product. And it's entirely based on things that are found in nature. Um, so that's that's kind of and that's that's probably the most uh, realistic one in terms of like how quickly that can get released. Uh, we do have uh, the serotonin antagonist, six methoxy Save that. Size. Let's talk about that when we talk
0: about Idea Labs again after a few okay. articles. You want to do that? Um, sure. La- last thing. So apigenin
1: is in guava, uh, and chamomile, then, uh, parsley, mm-hmm. um, and of course citrus fruits. Yeah. Um, naringin is of course mostly found in citrus fruits, but it's uh, in in there. It is found as it uh, as its glycoside form, known as naringin. Uh, but it's okay once you ingest it. Once it makes it to your to your colon or to the, any portion of your intestine that has a microbiome, hopefully that's not the small intestine. Uh, it gets uh, the glycosides get quickly split up, and you they basically get into pure naringin. Uh However, naringin is very quickly deactivated by the intestinal by the epithelial cells, so not much of it absorbs, um, and the, the half life is pretty short. However, if you replace some of the hydroxyl groups of naringenine with methoxy groups. Uh, basically, the bioavailability drastically improves, the half-life increases to the level of several hours, potentially up to half a day, and also several cancer studies with those methoxylated versions of the flavones and flavonones demonstrated that you can actually effectively cure cancer with dosages that are 10 to 15 times lower than the comparative dosage of the non-methoxylated version of the uh, original unmodified compound. So we're going to test a few of, of a few of those, maybe even do like a, an in vivo study on cancer, choose the one that works, that we think works the best, and then release a gonadin plus version, which will have that. So basically it will be um, kind of like Estroban, but on steroids, without having any steroids.
0: That's really interesting. That sounds... Uh aren't these uh proliferator activator aren't these like intimately involved in um fibrosis Body acid oxidation oh, okay. and also fibrosis okay yes. I feel like I had always seen those in fibrosis articles um okay so we'll talk about the serotonin proj- uh, product next last question about that uh didn't you already have a product with noryenine in it is this what yeah melanol it's called melanol okay. uh-huh. uh
1: but it's it's basically one of the only two products that we have remaining that uses DMSO as ah, a solvent, okay. and then what would many people use? don't like the DMSO. We've been uh, we've been getting like uh, you know uh, like requests to like uh, replace it with something else, but unfortunately, the regular apigenin and the regular naringin <laughs> they don't dissolve in almost anything else to the level that's needed to actually create a liquid product. Mm-hmm. However, we found a new solvent. That is capable of dissolving norepinephrine at a pretty high concentration. That's what I have in my pocket. Just a few <laughs> drops of that on the belly button, and you basically—it feels almost, almost like DHT. Not, not quite. Not, not quite the mental effects and the agility that it gives you. But it's very calming. It does, it does harden up your muscles. It does improve, um, uh, uh, basically, sexual function and erotic dreams, which is what Ray seems to use as a surrogate um, of how well things are working down there. Um, basically, you, you get it noticeably drier, and at higher doses, starts to give some of the uh, symptoms of like too low of an estrogen, like uh, like you like you get like achy joints or like or your bones would crack every once in a while. Uh, not to the point where that something like exam stain would do, but it's very obvious that estrogen is being lowered. Like one of the first symptoms of a lower estrogen is that if you're feeling this really tired but wired. Uh, uh, mentally conditioned. We're basically agitated. You know you're very tired, but you can't sleep and you're getting aggravated, the smallest thing. That's usually a very good indication of high estrogen and prolactin, especially if you're getting aggressive. Like if you're willing to take on somebody physically um, and you're yelling at people for no reason. That thing kills it in its tracks in, in, in a matter of seconds. And the exemestane does does something very similar, but exemestane somehow, and I think Ray is once again right on this. If at higher dosages, it kind of gives you this feeling like it's this thing is not very good for you if you're taking it at a too high of a dose. Definitely, the 25 milligram, which is used for treating breast cancer, I think that's insane. That's that's probably gonna cause some kind of a problem down the road. At the five to six milligram daily range, which was shown to already be enough to maximally suppress estrogen, exemestane is great. But guess what? It's a prescription drug. Um, it's very hard to find, it's getting expensive. Now there's even talk about potentially DEA regulating it because it's considered a doping agent. Um, and once once it gets to the DEA schedule, then basically it will be very, very difficult to obtain. Um, and even the the, the company selling it as a lab product will probably start asking for um, for like a prescription in order in order for you to be able to buy it. Even even large ones like Sigma Aldrich and and the other large chemical vendors. Right now it's unregulated, um, even though it's a prescription drug, but yeah, I think that's that's how the powers that be regulate things that they don't like. They convince the agencies that these things have abuse potential, whether for sports, for like, uh, I don't know, cheating on exams or whatnot, or cheating on, you know, during uh, uh, competitions. What, you know, I think that's, because if you look at all of the things that are on that banned list, yeah, some of them are dangerous, but guess what, thyroid hormone is there. Uh, DHEA is is about to get added. It's actually on that list, but not in the United States. It's, it's uh, I think, but it's definitely on the WADA list, the World Anti-Doping Agency. So all of the things that are actually good for you, and many other things that are not good for you, but all of the things that are good for you are already on that list. Uh, save aspirin and pregnenolone and progesterone. And now I think FDA has is, is recently issued like a directive towards compounding pharmacies. They can no longer use pregnenolone in compounding pharmacies. Oh, wow. But yeah, that's pretty recent. It,
0: but if you're an athlete, <clears throat> you can use the Bulgarian bioenergetic beef burger to improve sure. your performance. Yes. 100%. Or lamb burger. Yeah. I mean, I
1: don't, I, I'm not particularly, <laughs> I like beef, but actually I personally prefer lamb and Don't ruin it, George. You, don't, you already have a thing
0: going here. <laughs> Just keep it going. Just keep it the right. The BBB, right? <laughs> that's got I even mean, think of that. Uh, okay, guys, thank you so much. Thanks for hanging out uh, Friday, our Friday the 9th, Cyber Polygon Day. Sincerely appreciate it. Give this episode a like. It really helps out. Subscribe to alternative platforms, t.me slash Danny Rowdy on BitChute, on Odyssey, on all the things. And also we have a pretty big listenership on Spotify as well, so you can always uh, listen to these. Uh, you know what? Uh, let me just plug my um, interview with Justin of Extreme Health Radio. Uh, I thought it was. It turned out pretty good, <laughs> so so uh, check this out. Uh, it was supposed to be on YouTube, but he's, it's only on Spotify right now. And so I thought it was really fun chatting with him. And we go over lots of extremely basic stuff. And so something I hear repeatedly over and over is: I, I know a lot of people uh, really enjoy the shows, but some people will say you you guys get too technical. And I almost think this show that's <laughs> that's what the show like is. I think we're I really think we're trying to be technical and. If you, if you need uh super, the, a lot of the basic info, I think that's been gone over already in the earlier episodes and the podcast that we did in 2015. And so that information always will exist, but I'm, this is the Georgie show. I'm just letting you rip and talk about things and having a good chat. And that's, that's why it's, we can maintain it because it's so fun to do. And so.
1: I mean, technical or not, I try to explain yeah. what's behind the technicality, right? Yeah, so yeah. The discussion about like the methoxylated versus the hydroxylated, there is a reason for that, and ultimately it comes down to this: you can achieve the same, actually, you can achieve more with less, right? And you can actually it makes it a viable product as a liquid product, as a transdermal product, which is not really viable with with the regular chemicals that are that are out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't again, like I always think of all these podcasts as like. Um, all the other ones inform this episode. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a long continuation. And t- but if somebody's coming from low carb or something, they're like, "What in the hell are you guys talking about?" You know what? Like this stuff is too confusing for me. And so I'm just saying, the, there's lots of information for people that, and there's clips on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm always doing stuff like that. So if if you seek the info, I think you'll find it. Um, And then ge- generativeenergy.com. Uh, so this is kind of our Notion document for all of these episodes, and I I think oh yeah I just put, I did put the last one on here. So if you click on an episode, then you can go where the episode is found. Uh, for some reason, I couldn't upload to BitShoot, so that's not here. You can go through the timestamps, and then you can go all the way back to the older episodes. The first one we talked about global warming in June 29th of 2019, and I did a very lazy timestamp breakdown. <laughs> Why so I. I remember. I remember thinking this is what I used to think that the live streams were like throwaway, and I, I liked doing them, but I didn't think they were that important. And then, of course, my consciousness shifted, and now I think they're the most important thing I do.
1: <laughs> That's what keeps you in touch with the with
0: the audience, man. And like, <laughs> but it but it's because I'm not not bullshing you. It's because I, I they're so fun to do with you, and then they're even more fun to do with Ray. And also, I think we earned the fun aspect with Ray like those were kind of hard in the beginning I think like people were saying it's weird it's not good and now I think and now they're they're so fun and so I always really enjoy doing well, I think it
1: the way. wizard kind of opened up a little bit you know warmed up to both of us uh, he, he <laughs> used to live in his world out there that nobody understands <laughs> and now he's has at least two people that are like into it and like inquisiting him on it and I I, I kind of I'm kind of at least would like to think that he kind of enjoys it I
0: I think I genuinely think that as well. So I'm very happy. Well, you know, 62 episodes, and I think they'll be even better at 100, and better, even better at 200. So I'm excited for the future, and obviously that's why I invested like five Gs on this equipment because I really believe in the podcast. Um, okay, so what what's the time here? Um, okay, one eleven. Well, uh, I want to talk about a few more articles. We'll talk about Idea Labs again, and then we'll skedaddle out of here.
1: Do you, Were there more articles? Yeah, there's. <laughs> there should be one that basically spoils saturated fat impairs blood glucose control in type oh, yeah, two yeah, diabetics. Yeah. yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, I mean, that one is actually really good because the increase. The actually, if you look at the level of PUFA in the diet, they only increase it from five percent to twelve percent. That's not that's that's nothing, right? I mean, this is, you can do this simply by not being too careful about your diet on a day-to-day basis, and even that was enough over basically two periods of three weeks. That's all it took to drastically exacerbate the uh, the the glucose control in people with already existing type two diabetes without anything else changing. Um, and basically, the, if you look at, they had a, 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 a between 17 and 18% h- a higher fasting blood glucose, which may not sound like much, but keep in mind that in order to be type two diabetic, and most of these people were already taking drugs for diabetes, their diabetes was advanced. It wasn't newly diagnosed. So technically, if, you, if your blood sugar, uh, blood glucose, fasting blood glucose is over 125, you're considered a type two diabetic. But most people with established diabetes are averaging in the 250s to the 300s, so uh, that's effectively close to 20% higher. That means up to 40% higher, um, you know, higher reading, and that often makes the difference. If your blood sugar uh, jumps by, let's say, like 40 points, um, that's often enough for the doctor to actually start asking you to go on insulin, even 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 if temporarily. And all it took for this to happen was basically a minor change, only 7% of the actual calories uh, increase, you know, switching from saturated fat towards PUFA. Um, And also over a relatively short time period, just three weeks. Okay, but...
0: but you know, the thing that's causing the high blood sugar is is the carbohydrate though. So Yeah, but it didn't change. No, I'm, I'm playing devil's <laughs> advocate. <laughs> I
1: would have I would have played along with that and said, okay, let's investigate some other options. But they actually these were pretty good. And these people actually lived in a metabolic ward. So it's not like they were secretly cheating and like going and eating like Twix or something, or like loading up <laughs> on the ice cream or, or or drinking Cokes or Pepsis and whatnot. They were actually an, under extremely strict diet, where where uh, uh, their energy intake was measured down to the kilocalorie, um, and and they they didn't get access to anything else. So I guess I guess they could have drank secretly water. I mean that would actually have a, have an effect uh, because if you drink too much water, it has an effect of a it works similarly to growth hormone and actually impairs insulin sensitivity. So unless they were doing that, there's really very little argument here that. A minor increase in PUFA intake drastically worsened glucose uh, insulin sensitivity in type 2 diabetics over just a three-week period. That's all it took. Uh, okay, let me just
0: rephrase my question. How would what it w- could possibly be the mechanism for something like that?
1: Well, I mean, just increase lipolysis, right? I mean, if you're eating the PUFA and basically like the PUFA is, tends to stick in your in your bloodstream for longer or at least basically – because remember that study that showed that PUFA can actually stimulate – first of all, it serves as, as the precursor of the inflammatory mediators. Those themselves have been shown to actually damage – the beta cells in the pancreas. Um, Also, both the COX and the LOX metabolites are known to actually block the insulin from attaching to its receptor, so that's an additional way of causing insulin resistance. And finally, if PUFA is capable of activating the HPA axis, even without without the increase in ACTH, if you remember that study, a PUFA metabolite was capable of triggering, causing the adrenals to start releasing um, cortisol, even even without the pituitary uh, releasing uh, ACTH. Now, that alone is enough to increase lipolysis uh, further, and that, that automatically leads leads to a decline in insulin sensitivity, uh, the, uh, aside from even like e- eating the, this extra fat. And by the way, they didn't eat extra fat. They actually simply changed the fatty acid composition and increased it by 7% in favor of PUFA. But a total amount of calories between the two groups was exactly the same. Um, so, and finally, the, the the synergism of PUFA with estrogen and actually acting like estrogen. If you remember that study that we discussed maybe two or three weeks ago, that, that maternal high PUFA diet causes aggression in the offspring, uh, depression, and alcoholism. And the explanation of the authors was precisely because of the high estrogenic effect that PUFA had. There you go. Hyperestrogenism in the offspring. Um, so high, high estrogen or hyperestrogenism as a result of eating PUFA, it's, of course, is going to wreak all havoc because estrogen increases lipolysis, estrogen decreases the synthesis of the uh, of the protective hormones at the gonadal level and, and the pituitary level. Estrogen increases the release of cortisol. It irritates the adrenals. And in younger people, That may coincide with also increased synthesis and release of DHEA. However, in people with already established type 2 diabetes who have already have low DHEA levels, that thing is going to decimate their DHEA levels even more while continuously increasing cortisol as well. And considering all the other studies that discuss the role of cortisol in type 2 diabetes and the fact that a cortisol blocker such as RU486 can actually cure type 2 diabetes and lead to sustained, keyword, sustained weight loss, um, I think the role of PUFA here, it cannot be underestimated. I mean, it acts on just so many different pro-pathological uh, pro mechanisms. Um, it's not one or two. I mean, everything about this uh, about these fats, from their structure to the way they're metabolized, to the way they affect the endocrine system, um, is, is, is detrimental. What was that PUFA ACTH paper? That, do you remember the name? Yeah, if you go to uh, Google and uh, and search the repeat forum, uh, it's not on on my blog. It's oh. it's it posted a, maybe like three years ago before I had a blog. I thought we. So you go to Google, talked hmm? about it on. Uh, there may have been another one. I mean, there's several several of those already published. Pufa like, stimulates uh, cortisol. Uh, okay. That's the one. And it was specifically, uh, I'm forgetting the name, but it's one kind of some kind of a pufa metabolite that did that. Um, and it was really pernicious because it raised it, like it, it, it really increased the, uh, the synthesis of cortisol to the level almost of a person that would have like a Cushing syndrome.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Look, from 5.3 to 14.7. Okay. So most people have cortisol levels. If you look at the average cortisol levels, most people nowadays uh, have them like in the upper 25th percentile of the normal range. If you increased that level three times, three times, because that's what happened here, you already be very much into the into the uh, uh, range of a Cushing syndrome, if not even Cushing disease. Your doctor will be freaking out. but well, if he even he or she even thinks about testing cortisol, which probably will not happen, you gotta show up with like a round moon-looking face and a buffalo hump in order for them to even consider it. But uh, there we go. The uh, the metabolite is Ecode. Mm-hmm. Uh, scroll up so I can uh, pronounce the name. Here it he is. 12,13 epoxy 9-keto 10-trans octadecenoic acid. <laughs> so it's basically uh so it's a metabolite of linoleic acid um uh with with basically an epoxy group between position 12 and 13 on the carbon chain.
0: Great uh, anyways, to summarize, stress causes hyperglycemia and PUFA antagonizes the stress systems
1: in a myriad of different ways. Not antagonizes it agonizes agonizes. I'm sorry, A-
0: agonizes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Actually, since you mentioned antagonizes, saturated fats have an antagonistic effect on the adrenal system, um, and mostly, mostly saturated fats that are longer than 14 carbons of length.
0: Okay, uh, let's do. If we if we have
1: more, um, were there other ones? Let's see. Oh, the advanced age but not energy is associated with altered serum polyunsaturated fatty acids. I couldn't find that study, but I think the abstract is pretty telling. There's a drastic increase in arachidonic acid uh, with age. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've seen other studies that discuss this. And basically the only two things could be going on. Either uh, most of the fat, because they're measuring this fat in the bloodstream, right? Mm-hmm. But Older people don't don't eat more poof in their diet. In fact, most of them basically uh, decrease the caloric intake with age. Mm-hmm. Old people tend to eat very little, if at all, right? And in fact, most of them, by the time they're ready to croak, they're actually eating not even eating every day. They're eating every other day or like or like just a few times a week, they just don't have any appetite mm-hmm. because the metabolic rate is so low. Mm-hmm. So this arachidonic acid, elevated drastically elevated level of, of serum arachidonic acid must be coming from somewhere. And the only place it can be coming from, if it's not diet, it's the, it's, the, it's the storage, the adipose tissue, right? Which means that most of that adipose tissue, whatever is left in, in older people, consists of PUFA. So, so, you know, of course, not a cause and effect, right? It, it, it's not enough to say that accumulation of PUFA causes aging, but we know that, High, the high levels of arachidonic acid even mainstream medicine will admit that this is not a good thing right mm-hmm. so at the very least we can probably put the blame on the elevated PUFA levels in the serum of older people to many of the inflammatory conditions from which they're suffering because mm-hmm. there's nothing else that explains it
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. great I was uh, preoccupied with stream stuff so I wasn't <laughs> paying attention mm-hmm. too much of that one. what um uh, thanks for that Georgie <laughs> <laughs> okay let's do what what is the time here? I'm really tired. <laughs> one twenty-one. <So, laughs> okay, I mean, let's let's uh yeah. do were there another was there another uh what you wanted to chat about?
1: Let me see. Oh, the uh, <laughs> the neuronal one, the one that basically showed that uh, decreased incorporation of PUFA in in the neurons is actually beneficial. Uh, um, de- decrease?
0: Okay, we, we yeah. did that one. Uh hypertension PUFA, blood uh, blood sugar oh neuronal
1: lipolysis participates yes. okay yes okay and that's another one that i couldn't find because oh did you hear the news sci hub is basically under attack no way right really? there've been no 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 papers um added since the beginning of 2021 because alexandra is being sued in india and she actually for whatever reason she decided to comply uh, I mean, Sci-Hub is still working, but no new papers are being added as of right now, actually as, the, as of the beginning of 2021. So we're basically more than half of the year gone through and, and no new none of the papers from 2021 have been added. You, you'll you probably notice this if you try to search for something that's being published in 2021 for Sci-Hub, it's not going to come up. You, you you basically get a blank page. Does LibGen still work? Because I, no. I, I don't know well, why, I mean, but it I... still works, but none of the new papers are available from any of them. All right, but but is LibGen pull from Sci-Hub? Uh, they're connected. I think it's the same database. It's just a okay. different way of searching through a database and, and different sources of downloading them. So Libgen is more like a torrent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, like uh, when you get, when something comes up on Libgen, I think it gives you the option to download it from several sources. Yeah, there's like... One of them is SciHub, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but several others are, I think they look like Magneto links to me, which is a torrent was this, uh, system.
0: Was this one of the papers that you couldn't find? Yeah, try it. It's from 2021.
1: I forgot. I always forget the URL. Yeah.
0: Um, because I don't know why I got in the habit of just going here instead of Sci-Hub.
1: Uh, I'm doing both. If I can't find it on one, I I, I try the other. Oh
0: yeah, uh, this, And there you go. There's another.
1: Uh, and it's not just, it's not, I mean, it's already been, I think it was published in April. So usually if it's very new, you would understand if it doesn't show up there for a couple of days, right? But if it's something that's several months old, even things like from like January of 2021, they should be there, but they're not.
0: Wow, that sucks.
1: Yeah. So what happens is apparently uh, like the some of the big journals filed a lawsuit in India. I don't know why India, you, <laughs> but I decided on? to fight it. Do you want to ter- so turn you? the light on real fast?
0: <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Guys, sincerely appreciate it. Thank you so much. Give this episode a like. Uh, it really supports the show. Uh, thanks for hanging out Friday, uh, Cyber, uh, Cyber Polygon Day. Thanks, Georgie. Appreciate it. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Keep going.
1: So... Apparently, India has a unique copyright law which says that uh, copying, uh, like distributing copyrighted scientific work is not illegal. Now, so uh, there's a, I mean, if you type Alexander Albakian, in India lawsuit, you'll get the articles. But apparently, she's decided to go to India or at least remotely fight that lawsuit and actually see see her day in court. Because I think she's hoping that, or at least that's the analysis, that basically um, if if she wins that, um. Then basically, there we go. PsyHub takes cases off in India, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so if she wins that case, um, depending on what other countries India has like a joint agreement for copyright protection with, uh, United States is not one of them. <laughs> uh, she may be able, like PsyHub, may actually become legalized in several countries. Uh, and she actually, in in that interview, she basically said that she's. Um, that 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 she thought that psychop would get legalized by now. That she was really disappointed. i mean I'm like, come on, what live, what world do you live in? <laughs> like you haven't seen what's been going on so far. Yeah. Um, and basically, she's hoping to win that case because apparently the law in India says that what she's been doing through psychop it's not illegal. Um, and if she wins that, then we may be able to get that thing fully legalized in some countries. And then after that, it'll be it'll be a piece of cake to access it through a proxy that's like local, even if even if your ISP or like the journals like won't want this blocked somehow or being available only in like in that specific country where it's legal. Uh, you know, information wants to be free. If something is available digitally in one country, it will be available worldwide. So let's hope that she wins that case in India um and and see what happens. I mean, can
0: you even quantify how uh I mean I'm pretty done. Alexandria, right? El, yeah, El- Alexandra, Alexandra. Yeah. Elbakian. C- can you even quantify how much she has
1: positively in- influenced your life? She she's basically now being one of the. Uh, there, there is a there's a there's a what is you called what do you call? this? like a like a movement going on to propose her for like a Nobel Peace Prize uh, for <laughs> 2021 because they said that she's done more for the dissemination of science oh, than anybody either, probably in the last two, three centuries. yeah because before that, the only people who could do science or publish yeah were people working at universities yeah. or somehow paying them or being part of the system because without those studies that you can cite and build your own paper, you doomed, like the stuff that was available through open access was, was laughable. It was like probably less than 10% of the entire body work, the entire work of like, uh, all, all of these, all of these papers that are now available.
0: Yeah. Reading the full text is just, uh, I, so I wrote that book that I wrote in like 2000, late 2012, I did not have access to full text papers. And so like looking back at that, that was like the biggest handicap imaginable. Like I couldn't, I only had abstracts to read. My so,
1: story is even more touching. Yeah. <laughs> I I used to go to Georgetown, which is like basically two miles from where I currently live. Before sci was available... I would actually search for these papers, right? The ones that I want to and, and collect a list of maybe 20 or 30 of them yeah. and go and walk in freaking heat or like or ridiculous <laughs> cold, walk two miles to the campus uh-huh. and go to the library and basically go through these one by one and hoping that the university would have a subscription for those journals to get these studies just to read them, right? <laughs> And that's most of my early work on the repeat forum was involved so much physical effort behind (laughs) it that that, like, uh, I mean, when now people that that are uh, early uh, that are coming to the forum lately and criticizing me and saying like, oh, anybody can, you know, take these papers and post them there and take the quotes out. Well, number one, why aren't you doing it? And number two, (laughs) when you walk the, I don't know how many thousands of miles I have (laughs) to get these things done, then, you know, this is not done for profit. This I didn't have Idea Labs at the time. Yeah. This was only done out of pure interest. Yeah, I used to go to uh
0: Berkeley's uh science yeah, center and I would fi- there he they had old Han Celier books, and I would just like in and one of the things I was interested in and found information on was him talking about serotonin, which he called enteramine. That was like the enteramine, original yeah.
1: name. Well, and high percentage produced there, right? In the gut. So it has to be something within terror in it.
0: Yeah. But it was, cra- it was crazy. Cause I had, I think I had heard Ray talk about that stuff in passing. I couldn't find any information on it, on the internet. And then I had to go to that library and uh, found a bunch of, inf- and I, I think I was like taking photos of the book or whatever. Um,
1: I I sent some money to Alexandra a few times. I mean, I'm hoping that she's able to maintain this. Uh, uh, they actually, they, she I was I was going to send her more, but PayPal blocked her account. Oh, wow. I think she used to have a Patreon account that has also been blocked. Mm-hmm. Her Twitter account has been blocked, yeah. and I think now the only way to send her money is basically you gotta you have to email her and ask her for like for her Bitcoin address. Mm-hmm. And I think she's very wary about like who she accepts money from. So the last time I donated was like two years ago. Uh, I may donate again because if she – now the fight is legal and it looks like she has a decent chance of winning. If she wins that case in India where it seems that a copyright law – the only reason she's, she's picking up that case is clearly because the law in India says that you have the right to do this. But the thing is because it's such a big country and because of all of the agreements that it has with China, with Russia, with the former Soviet republics, even Bulgaria – so, so, you know, if any of the if the Indian court says, yes, what she's doing is legal, then any of these countries can basically like she can set up mirrors there or like, you know, move the website to one of those jurisdictions. Not that the journalists will give up the fight. They'll probably still try to uh, quash her domain names. But, you know, it will be on a very solid legal footing. And, and after that, it's basically it's just a matter of. Uh, circumventing the desperate attempts of the ISPs to censor it, which are already... I mean, they've already failed. Like, uh, if they if they could cut off her work through through blocking of the domains, they would have done it already. They tried whack a mole a few times, right? It used to be Sci-Hub.org, then it became Sci-Hub.is, right? All these things. And now it's Sci-Hub.du and whatnot. So these domains are... At least one of them is always up. And if not, then the IP addresses are known. Libgen is up, and I don't think that's ever that has ever been down. Sometimes it's slow because of denial service attacks, but I don't think it's ever been down. So the cat is out of the bag. The only question is to what to what degree she will manage to legalize it uh, through that lawsuit in India.
0: And R.I.P. Uh, Aaron Schwartz, who I think wasn't he yes, the first person? Yes, exactly. That tried and the- that's
1: the article that you found mm-hmm. talking about Alexandra. Mm-hmm. Basically, says that 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 uh, she, uh, he was her inspiration. And, and she basically, when they ask her, like why are you doing this? She's like, well, I'm doing this because of the people um, who died and didn't have the resources that I had to defend themselves.
0: So I accidentally turned the chat into this article.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. Let's, uh, that was the last article.
1: Or did we talk about this um, uh, neuronal lipolysis one? Yes. Yeah, sc- scroll down a little bit. I mean, I couldn't find that article, but basically says that there is a protective effect from decrease in the incorporations of PUFA into the phospholipids. So, decrease of the incorporation of PUFAs into phospholipids increases neuronal protection. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it's a, any surprise, but basically uh, it flies into the face of, of suggestions by doctors and the public health authorities to increase your intake of omega-3, increase your intake of omega-6. Both are good for you. One of them is essential Uh, If if you could try to keep the omega-3 intake higher than the omega-6, but don't worry, both of them are really good for your brain. No, (laughs) actually depleting PUFA turns out to be much better.
0: Awesome. Okay, let's uh, give us the serotonin at eLabs update and then we'll get out of here.
1: Oh, yeah, we have a sufficient amount of six methoxyhermolan synthesized, uh, but now the issue is legal. Um, That article that that, that we mentioned uh, about the French guy, Mm -hmm. who's also fighting a legal case in France, but thankfully the case is uh, so called uh, administrative, it's not criminal. Uh, Apparently, he just didn't register the trial properly with the authorities, and they're going after him for using it now. But unfortunately, whenever they create, you know, whenever they launch an investigation like that and a trial against a doctor, all the substances that are that are being used by that person, uh, you know, the FDA and other agencies, they're kind of using that as an excuse to start monitoring them because guess what? The savage criminals are using these things to poison people illegally and whatnot. So I'll, I'll wait to see how this trial turns out. Um, if this guy... Uh, not walks. I mean, I don't think he's gonna to go to prison, but uh, if he beats the charges or if, if, if basically these if the court con- determines that the things that he was administering are not controlled substances, then we'll probably release the metoxyhermelon as one of the one of the one of the new serotonin antagonists. Uh we're also working on synthesizing sinanserin and a Russian serotonin antagonist known as tropoxin. If you type tropoxin in Google, it'll come up. I don't know if we did it last time or not. We did. I can do it again. Oh we did, okay. Uh, yeah. tro- how do you spell it? Uh, T R O P O X I N. Yep, there you go. And, and the- surprisingly an anti-migraine agent. Now the the sad thing is that if you go to through the older studies published in before the 1980s, it was a fairly well-known uh, hypothesis and considered strongly corroborated that serotonin was the cause of migraines and you need to administer anti-serotonin drugs in order to treat migraines. These days, most of that knowledge has been lost. Um, now, basically, they're giving serotonin agonists or SSRI drugs for treatment of migraine, and needless, needless to say, none of that works very well. Um, riboflavin, which is vitamin B2, uh, is also uh, enjoying a, a bit of a resurgence as a treatment of migraines, and in fact, even the Mayo Clinic has recently said that it's probably effective. Um, I don't know why why they would venture this, you know, this this free advertisement for something that that cannot possibly make profit for big pharma. Uh, <laughs> but the reason why it works it probably, aside from its improvement of the uh, participation as the cofactor FAD, flavin adenine dinucleotide, in complex two. So, aside from participating in oxidative phosphorylation, the other role, big role of vitamin uh, of vitamin B2, again, through the FAD, is that it is, it is a cofactor for the enzyme monoamine oxidase type A. And that is the main enzyme that degrades serotonin. So, by taking extra vitamin B2, you're increasing the activity of monoamine oxidase type A, and you're increasing the degradation of serotonin, the oxidative degradation of serotonin. So, one- one other solid piece of evidence that serotonin is pathological and a direct cause of migraines and anything that you can be that, that can be done to lower it is therapeutic so if your doctor is prescribing you a serotonin agonist or a necessary drug for migraine I guess, I don't know, either search for a new doctor or like, uh, you know, show them these articles if you're in the, in the mood for fight or ask them if they took their, their COVID-19 vaccine. If the answer is yes, maybe that doctor will not be a problem for too long. <laughs> yeah, you
0: could go to another doctor and hear the exact same thing from them.
1: <laughs> That's
0: right. Well, is this a serotonin antagonist uh, superior to other forms that you think? Or what does this offer that other ones don't?
1: Well, uh, it seems to work in similar dosages to cyproheptadine. Uh, unfortunately, so, but it doesn't have the uh, histamine, antihistamine effect, and the anticholinergic one. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be mostly an anti drug. Now, the antihistamine and the anticholinergic uh, effects are giving some people problems, like as you know, serotonin is. He- I'm sorry, cyproheptadine is heavily sedating. Yeah, that tends to wear off with usage, but for some people it doesn't. Also, there are reports and even published case studies of of cyproheptadine causing um, you know, liver damage in some people, and Ray seemed to acknowledge in a few emails. Um, se- several people emailed him about elevated liver enzymes from cyproheptadine, and he advised them to lower the dosage. Um, so, tropoxin, based on the studies that are in Russian and the ones that are translated in English, doesn't seem to have any side effects. Um, seems to work at a, a similar dosages to cyproheptadine, and tends to be a non-selective serotonin antagonist, but not much else. So you know, just, just like synestrian. So trying to get to the, to the anti-serotonin aspect, because it's really, that is very beneficial without messing up with any of the other systems. Not that having an antihistamine or an anticholinergic agent is bad. Is that some people don't react very well to using such agents. Some people in the
0: chat are saying uh, they would like a detailed breakdown of dosages and descriptions for your supplements. And so why, why is that not basically possible. <laughs>
1: um, well, some of these things are sold as lab chemicals and we're not even allowed to discuss human usage. Mm-hmm. So cyproheptadine, one of them, the thyroid products uh, like uh, tyronine and tyromix. So anything that is a prescription drug, we can only sell as a solution in a bottle. You know, basically no promises made, no guarantees, no recommendations, no discussions whatsoever, uh, unless a doctor prescribes you that specific product And then the doctor can get in touch with us and we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, you know, I get these emails all the time. Hey, how much cyprocheptin should I take using your product? Zero comment. cannot discuss human usage of products sold as, you know, R&D products or lab products. Um, As far as the other, like the ones that are sold as cosmetics, simply because the dosage is different. But some of them do have indications. Like if you look at Estroban, it says serving size is eight drops, right? So it's most of them are made to last about 30 days. If used at the, sur- at, at the suggesting servings, um, but again, uh, for the steroid ones such as corinone, which is a progesterone DHEA, the bottle was made to provide 12 milligrams of DHEA daily. And uh, if you based- use that amount, would last 30 days. Guess what? For most people, it turns out that even that dosage, especially if they're hypothyroid, can result in estrogenic uh, side effects. So Ray, I think he said that. Using as little as five to six milligrams, even in old people, restores the levels of DHEA to the youthful level. It may take some time of taking it, but at least in the tissues, like not necessarily in the bloodstream, you'll be raising your levels of DHEA. So, so that means that uh, it, our initial expectation of people using 12, uh, 12 drops daily turned out to be an overshoot. So now you can actually use a lot less, and the bottle is going to last much longer than 30 days. So it really depends on each person. I mean. We're trying to avoid a cookie-cutter approach uh, also as well, right? So it's it's legal issue one, and it's basically the individual differences of people's metabolism, health, needs, etc. cetera, uh, and ultimately the fact that you experiment is really the only arbiter what would work and what dosage would work uh, from, a, from a given product would work for you. Some of them may not work for you, right? So the point is to experiment with several different doses, doses and see what works. And if a lower dose tends to work better for you, then ignore the suggested servings on the label. They're only there because of labeling requirements from the FDA. FDA says that, you know, for, for things that are, have known RDAs, you should be suggesting serving size. Um, so that's why some some of the products have it and others don't. There is no RDA for progesterone. There's no RDA for DHEA. There's no RDA for pregnenolone. So for that, we cannot suggest a dose. I mean, I'm sorry, we can suggest a dose if a person emails us, right, and and presents like a, you know, a, a bit more details about their hormonal status, age, health, et cetera. But again, that's what the forum is for. If you go there and read through the threads, at this point, given that these products have several years behind them, uh, and we have multiple testimon- testimonials from clients, um, you probably don't need us that much. And in fact, you should be asking others because they don't have... Uh, what should I call it, a horse in the game, they don't have a bias and they don't have an interest of forcing you to buy or consume more in order to buy more and whatnot, you should be asking other people that word of mouth. That's the best thing. And ultimately, you should be listening to yourself and experimenting and finding out what works best for you.
0: Awesome. Thanks for that. Okay, what else I have to say? Uh, guys, give this episode a like, it really supports the show. So George and I are going to be back on the 23rd. We're going to skip the 16th. We're going to be back the 23rd and then Ray is going to be back on the 30th. And so that should be the schedule. I can't believe this worked. (laughs) Like I can't believe we did not experience uh, any hiccups. Like, again, this is such a convoluted setup. It's worth it. But I'm I'm in like in complete awe right now. It could have been terrible, but it went uh, swimmingly. And so, Georgie Dinkov, thank you so much. As always, my, my partner in crime, you know, you make these uh, so fun to do. We have an amazing listenership. I am just receiving this, like, excessive amount of positive messages on all different types of platforms <laughs> saying people. Excessive uh, amount of positivity. It's an excessive <laughs> amount of positivity of people saying they really enjoy the show. And so, again... It, it just so happens that it's the best part of my week, and uh, Georgie, I appreciate it. And then Ray is the coup de gras, and he makes them even more fun. Uh, so, guys, give the episode a like. Uh, I will stay up. I will timestamp this, and it will be out on YouTube. And then for all updates, t.me slash Danny roddy, uh, Georgie Dinkoff, Idealabs,
1: dc.com, twitter.com slash hate it. And uh, and please please test that new search engine uh, and and tell us like how, how how you like it especially for repeat related stuff because uh, the censorship is getting is becoming unbearable. People that want to find us that know about us can find us obviously right they'll they'll find a way. But for general search, uh, basically Google has buried everything related to repeat, um, and it's not related just to COVID nineteen. I mean, it's quite obvious that that even articles that have nothing to do with viral diseases or immunity are not showing up on on um, on Google's uh, front page. Rega- even if you type things in quotation marks, I mean, you have to enter four or five words in in order for that for the, for none of you to know those five words. You must have read the article, which kind of defeats the purpose of searching for unknown things to start with. So, for new people, newcomers to to Pete World, um, you know, s- even if you search for things like uh, uh, vitamin E estrogen. Um, used to be like the third or fourth result that will come up on Google, and I don't think now it shows up on the front page at all.
0: Yeah, I, again, I hate to be nagging so much about likes and things, but that really supports the show. So if you like it that uh, and you're gener- generous enough to do those things, it really does uh, help help us out. Okay, Georgie, stay on the line. I'm gonna go to the ending. I'm gonna try to play a cool song, <laughs> and and then we'll be back together. So just just hang out for a second. It's gonna which
1: one the weird one that Zook played with his flag? Take me home. <laughs> did, you, did you see that video? No. What is that? Oh, just 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 type just type in Google um, uh, Zuckerberg cringy Fourth of July video. If you want to show it to the listeners, <laughs> is it gonna get? Is it like it just a copy? looks So so retarded. I don't think it's I don't think it's the problem with the PR agency. I think the guy just looks dorky and awkward when he tries to do these things that, that make him look like he's one of the people, but it really has nothing to do with him. Zuckerberg, July 4th video? Yeah, video. I have not seen this.
0: There you oh, go. this. The
1: flag. Yeah. Maybe
0: I did see that. Um, I'm gonna... You did see that. Okay. <laughs> Let me just mute. The... Is this music going to get us, like, booted? This is really weird. It looks like a deep fake.
1: <laughs> yes and, and also i mean what exactly is he doing with uh, like why does he have to carry the flag like that like it looks tacky to me it looks tacky aside from some people say well this board that he's writing costs like 30 grand uh, yeah. so it's like he's clearly out of touch and he keeps jumping like this I, I don't know if it's like to that's like makes the board like not sink or something uh-huh. um did he put I, this on I, facebook I think it's, a, it's, it's a strange pr experiment and the PR company that is behind Facebook should just learn and stop using him in their he just he just ruins everything. The guy is just not photogenic. Uh he looks like a creep. He acts like a creep. He probably is a creep. Um and uh did you see the testimony that he gave in front of Congress? Uh the one where he's like sipping the water like an alien? Not only that, he lost he lost his cool because they forgot to give to put his booster pill on the chair.
0: Uh, oh no, I didn't I I I barely know anything about him. Like a- yeah,
1: there's like a video of him yelling at his handlers or wh- whoever they are. He's like, "Where is the thing that I told you to put in the chair?" And then there's a camera like took, uh, taking a picture of the chair from the side, uh-huh. and he has this like booster pill like a toddler <laughs> because he wanted to look taller. I mean, if you're that insecure about your height, am I about the same height? as actually I think he's five seven. I'm five nine. Uh-huh. Maybe I have like I have two inches on him. <laughs> uh, Well, anyways, I'm not just like I'm actually right at the average uh, height level here, at least here in the United States. I mean, if you're that insecure about your height, you shouldn't be going to these public venues. It looked a lot weird, him like yelling at his at his associates for forgetting to put his booster pillow on the chair. Well, and now, and now this video.
0: Well, we elected him. So we just have to live with him as tech tech overlord, unfortunately. So
1: who who, who elected him exactly? Oh, like him Bill we, Gates? Who we elected, elected him to speak for people <laughs> and, and talk about vaccines and give medical advice, given that they're non-doctors.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, guys, again, thank you so much. Give this episode a like, we will be back in two weeks. We'll take, take a week off and then we'll be Georgie and Ray Uh, I'm going to try to figure out how to do this switch really fast. That one. Okay. And Georgie stay on the line guys. Sincerely appreciate it. Have a safe week. We'll see you again. Two weeks. Uh, Take care. Thanks again. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, See you guys soon. Okay. Bye everyone.